The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. You guys, I am fresh off of today's recording, like this episode specifically, and I'm so stoked to bring you this episode because it is packed with so much good information. So today's guest is Jessie, aka Glucose Goddess. Now, Jessie has been on my podcast in the past. She was actually on last year, and it was I mean, you guys loved her and why wouldn't you? She's just full of really, really good tips. And today's episode is, again, a continuation of that information. So now if you're not familiar with Jessie's work, I mean, her Instagram handle is Glucose Goddess, and that is really what she is. She has kind of made widely available all this information about blood glucose spikes and how it's so important for us to take note of what's going on within our physiology and blood glucose levels because it impacts so much. So it impacts everything from our mood, our productivity, our satiety, our mental clarity, fat storage, hormones, and we get into all of that in today's episode. It is just jam-packed. I'm talking like filled to the brim with incredible information. I'm really, really excited for you guys to dive in. Before we do, I just want to let you guys know that if you guys do find value in today's episode, please, please leave a review and rate the show. This is something that I appreciate so much because it just helps me continue to show up as a host that continues to bring you a ton of value. So all you have to do is open up the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to where it says rate and review the show in the rating section. If you feel like I've earned it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, um, let me know any feedback that you have, honestly. So guests that you've really liked, any guests that you want to see from the show, specific topics that you really resonate with. I really listen to you guys and I'm constantly reading the reviews you leave me. Like as an example, I had no idea that my solos were something that you guys enjoyed so much, but I started doing more of them because I started to read the reviews and realize how much you guys love them. So it is something I take really seriously and I appreciate so much. All right. With that, let's welcome Jesse to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay. So for someone who doesn't know, mm-hmm. okay, explain what a glucose spike even is. So a glucose spike is what happens in your body after you eat lots of carbs or sugars in one go. Okay. And carbs and sugars, they break down into glucose molecules Mm -hmm. in your blood. And a glucose spike is when the amount of glucose in your blood increases really quickly after a meal. Mm -hmm. And this might sound like nothing, but actually has consequences. Inflammation, faster aging, putting on fat, disrupting your hormones, impacting brain fog, et cetera, et cetera, and creating a cravings roller coaster for the rest of the day. So my entire work is centered around teaching people about glucose spikes and giving you easy hacks to avoid them without going on a crazy diet, without cutting out chocolate cake and pasta forever, because we love carbs. But we need to learn how to eat them in a way that's going to be less damaging to our health. I couldn't agree with you more. And I like you already know this, but this is kind of what drew me to your work so deeply, because I think that people have just gotten sick and tired of diet culture. And honestly speaking, I, I hate diets. It's so stupid and it doesn't work. No. You're like fighting against your body when you can be working in partnership with your body. Mm -hmm. And I think that taking control of like blood glucose levels is the easiest way to do that, you know? And diets also, there's such a powerful way to control women. Yes. So, you know, there's all that angle to which I find really interesting. If Mm. you're being told from the moment you're a teenager that the most important thing in your life is to make sure you lose five pounds before your summer bikini body, like you're not going to be thinking about what you want to do in the world, your Mm. passion, your projects, your goals, you know. So I'm super excited you're talking about this because I think diet culture needs a lot of revamp. We need to push back against it a lot and learn about our physiology. Yes. You know, not do extreme diets after extreme diets that we just cannot sustain and that are actually not good for us. Mm -hmm. But 
In fact, learning how our biochemistry works and learning easy principles that will allow us to feel amazing, help all of our health issues without doing anything drastic. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So talk to me then about the impact that blood glucose has on things like fat loss. Like how does that mechanism Mm. even work? And also what does it mean for women to control their blood glucose levels? Like how can we do that in the easiest possible way? So the first thing I want to explain is what is glucose? For people who don't know, I think that's a key place to start. So glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. So every single cell in your body burns glucose for energy. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to us right now, your brain cells are burning glucose to understand what we're saying. If you make a fist with your right hand, your finger cells are using glucose to contract. Every part of your body uses glucose. And the main way that we give this important glucose to our body is by eating foods, Mm -hmm. specifically by eating starches. So that's bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, oats. Or sugars, anything that tastes sweet from my favorite chocolate ice cream to an apple, okay? Starches and sugars turn to glucose in your body. Mm -hmm. So you might think, okay, I want loads of energy, so I should give my body lots of glucose. I should eat as many starches and sugars as possible. And actually, that's not the case. I love taking the example of a plant. Do you have a plant at home, Sif? Uh, Yeah, actually I do. Okay. Lots of them. Great. So you know that plants need some water to live, but Mm. if you give your plants too much water... Kills them. Exactly. The human body is the same. Some glucose, perfect, love it. Too much glucose, problems start happening. Specifically, these glucose spikes take place. Mm. And there are three main consequences of glucose spikes that everybody needs to be aware of. The first one is that they make you tired. Glucose spikes impact your mitochondria, which are little factories in charge of turning that glucose into energy. And if you give them too much glucose at once, they kind of go like TMI, cannot deal, going on strike. And so the factories in your cells that are supposed to make energy all of a sudden are not making energy anymore. Mm -hmm. So you're chronically fatigued. Second thing that happens is called glycation. Glycation is a process that starts from the moment you're born. And it's kind of like cooking. It's like what happens to a chicken in the oven when it goes from pink to brown. Human bodies are cooking constantly. And then once you're fully cooked, you die. I know this sounds really weird, but (laughs) it's actually the scientific process. So glycation accelerates with every glucose spike you experience. And this shows not only on your face as aging, as wrinkles, but also your organs are slowly aging and deteriorating. And the third one has to do with fat cells, as you were asking me. So your body, when you're having a glucose spike, your body knows this spike is not good for you. Mm. It's going to try everything it can to get that glucose level to come back down. Mm -hmm. And the way it does it is by sending out a hormone called insulin. We love insulin. She's amazing. She grabs all of the excess molecules of glucose floating around and puts them away into storage units, into your muscles, into your liver, and into your fat cells. Mm -hmm. So excess glucose is stored as fat. And that is one of the ways that you gain fat on your body. Okay. So those are the three physiological processes. And then as symptoms, how do you really feel all this? So as I explained, chronic fatigue, main, main, main symptom of glucose spikes. Cravings, because after every spike, there's a drop in glucose levels. And that activates the craving center in your brain that tells you, Sif, eat some chocolate now. (laughs) So your brain reacts to being on a glucose roller coaster by making you crave more carbs and more sweet foods Mm -hmm. to bring that glucose level back up. And then depending on your body, your, you know, your health background, these glucose spikes can have an impact on your hormones. For example, if you suffer from PCOS, Mm -hmm. glucose spikes and lots of insulin is a key driver of that. They can impact your mental health. That's the reason I got into this in the first place, because I I realized, oh, The days where my glucose levels are unbalanced, my mental health is so much worse. And the days where my glucose levels are nice and steady, I feel amazing, right? So everything from hormones to skin to mental health to your gut to your energy to your sleep, everything is impacted by our glucose levels because it's such a fundamental process of the body. It's in every one of our cells, so any spikes get felt by the entire system. There is nothing I love more than ensuring that my home is both beautiful, but also works with my value system. And of course, like you guys know, I'm very, very particular about 
just making sure that the things in my home are really clean. And, you know, a few years ago, I became extremely aware of my hormonal health. And right now, fertility is something that I think about, not because I'm having kids right now, but it's something that I want to make sure that I'm good on. And so making sure that I have non-toxic cookware is something that's incredibly important to me. Now, when I tell you that I have recycled through probably six sets of non-toxic pans, like I am not even joking because what I would do is buy these non-toxic pans and then they would get ruined so quickly because they didn't do well with the heat or I couldn't clean them properly or like it was just so hard to clean that it was just not even worth it anymore. And so I was so excited when I found Caraway Home because their pans are honestly beyond chic. I have these black ones with gold finishings. And anytime I have people come over to my house, they compliment me on how good the pans look. More importantly, it's non-toxic and it's super easy to clean. This is super important to me because you guys know I'm busy and I'm not someone who loves to clean for hours and hours on end. I just need to like get it done. And the Caraway Home pans are so easy to clean. The food kind of like glides off it when you're done. It also lasts. You know, I've had mine for months and months and it lasts, which is really important because I'm someone who cooks a lot and I want longevity when it comes to my things. So Caraway has an offer for you guys. Visit carawayhome.com slash dream bigger to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash dream bigger or use code dream bigger at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman. My first book, The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans, is out now. In this book, I wanted to quiet all the noise that's out there and distill the science into five core principles. And using those principles, you can solve absolutely any parenting challenge, giving you the confidence to raise good humans. Order now and give yourself a little bit of ease. So I actually want to talk about the part that you said about cravings, okay? Mm. So have you noticed that when you are in the habit of having a ton of desserts, you kind of start to crave sugar more. And then when you taper that down, you kind of stop craving yeah. it as much. Is Isn't that to interesting? Do, yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. Is it to do with blood glucose levels as well? There's a few different things going on with, with cravings. So First of all, yes. So the more sweets you have, the more sugar you have, the more you're going to trigger these spikes in your body, which mm. are going to lead to drops afterwards. And so 90 minutes after eating something really sweet, you're going to want more sweet stuff. But also, there's another pathway going on. When you eat sweet foods, it's releasing dopamine in your brain. And that dopamine is the molecule of pleasure. And mm -hmm. it's very addictive. So the more you eat sweet foods, the more you're going to crave more and more of that dopamine. And when you eat sugar, it impacts your gut bacteria. And then as your gut bacteria becomes a bit imbalanced, it's actually going to send signals to your brain telling you, eat more sugar, eat more sugar. So you have those three things going on. And when it comes to eating sugar, the worst thing you can do is having sugar on an empty stomach. Mm. So first thing in the morning, big glass of orange juice, granola, oats with honey, dead. So that's going to create a very big spike and gonna, it's going to create a cravings roller coaster for the rest of the day. The best time to eat sugar is actually as dessert, as you said, because mm -hmm. when you already have stuff in your stomach, the sugar, like the dessert, is going to arrive more slowly into your stomach and into your bloodstream, mm -hmm. right? And you can also add some more hacks to that. For example, after the dessert, you could go for a walk so that your muscles soak up some of that glucose from the dessert. You could have a little vinegar drink before having that dessert. There's lots of things that you can do. But yes, sugar is highly addictive. But we can help to manage and taper that addiction by using the hacks. So then you, you talked about like people who have like granola or 
orange juice or, you know, oatmeal with some honey in the morning. And these are kind of things that we'd been trained to eat when we were younger. Like, especially like, I don't know if you remember, but when like, I'm I'm like a 90s baby. And back then it was the food pyramid, you know, and it was like servings of carbs. Oh, my God. Insane. But if someone is kind of in the habit of having like a sweeter breakfast, Mm -hmm. what can they do? Like, are there things that they can do to have something maybe savory before? Or like, can they like, what can they do? So first of all, if you feel amazing and you're like, my life could not be better, I could not feel better, mm-hmm. and you're having a sweet breakfast, like, don't listen to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I have a lot of respect. But if there's something, a part of your physical or mental health that you wish could improve, then fixing your breakfast is going to be very key. So switching from a sweet breakfast to a savory breakfast is really what you want to do. But mm-hmm. if you're so used to having that granola and mm-hmm. eating, you know, I don't know, some chicken feels impossible, which I understand. The first step you can take is exactly as you mentioned, is to have something savory before the sweet food. So for example, two soft boiled eggs with some sea salt before you have the granola, right? Or a Greek yogurt before you have the orange juice. Or if you can, and this is what I recommend, really try to have only savory things in the morning and then all the sweet food that you like, have it for dessert after lunch. Just sort of delay the breakfast food to later in the day to to dessert after your next meal. Mm-hmm. That's going to help you get all the dopamine from it still, but with less impact on your glucose levels. Yeah. And other ideas for breakfast, like I love leftovers. Leftover chicken with rice and a sliced avocado. Or when I'm here in LA, I love the fish cakes, rare one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have the salmon fish cakes in the morning with some green beans and some Parmesan. You know, like think about your breakfast as you would any other meal. Yeah. The idea that we should eat dessert for breakfast, which is what we've been trained to do. It's crazy. It's bullshit. It's just an invention of the food industry to sell you really cheap, really addictive food. Yeah. Also, when... When I used to do that when I was younger, I remember feeling so fatigued. Like this was when I was in high school, you know, like if I'd eat something like sweet in the morning, like cereal before running out the door, I'd notice this like massive energy crash like a couple of hours in. 10 a.m., yep. It's just you're not even that productive. So there's like a way to do this. And like I'm with you. I personally love having like lunch foods for breakfast or like dinner, like leftover things. Like today I had like a beef hash with like two eggs I threw in. And I was like, it's it was so good. So good. And it's filled with protein. And so I have all this energy to sustain me for hours and hours. It's so much better. So much better. But you know, when we were young, I used to feel the same. I grew up eating a Nutella crepe and orange juice for breakfast. And that 10.30 crash at school, I thought it was normal. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, this is just life. 10.30, you're super hungry, Mm. so hungry your stomach hurts and you can't focus in school. It's like you don't realize there's a complete other world waiting for you if you just change your breakfast. And that's why that's the hack that I recommend everybody starts with because it's just so powerful. It is so powerful. Like you have energy, you're clearer. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, you feel like sparkly. Yeah, you know, (laughs) totally. This one woman in Sweden told me that um, she feels like when she has a savory breakfast, she has eagle energy, which I thought was cool. That's beautiful. But really, it transforms your day. It really, really does. And I know it sounds a bit difficult, but even if you just have, for example, a Greek yogurt with some almonds and some berries, you you can have some whole fruit in the morning. It's sweet, but it's okay. The whole fruit is okay. Even just try to have that and see how much better you feel. Yeah. Okay. So I was just in uh, Courchevel. I was telling you off air, but they have obviously incredible croissants. And I was there for like such a short period of time, but I was like, okay, like I'm not just going to eat this first thing and like shoot myself in the foot, you know? So it was always like have some eggs and some sausage and some vegetables and then have the mini croissant and then go ski. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) You're doing the hacks. And you know, if you're, if, if you don't want to do a savory breakfast all the time and it's the weekend and you're going to brunch and you want to have chocolate for breakfast, like do it. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, we're not here to do something super strict that you can't sustain. But in your day to day life, when it's easy, try to apply this hack. And once you start, it's really difficult to go back to sweet because you just feel like such a different person. Agreed. Talk to me about smoothies. What are your mm. thoughts? Are you a fan? Like, are there ways that you can optimize your smoothie if you're having it first thing in the morning? Tell yes. me everything. OK, so. In order to talk about smoothies, we kind of have to talk about fruit first. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us believe, and I used to believe this as well, that the fruit that you find today at the supermarket is natural. Mm. You see an apple or banana, and you're like, oh, you know, this is nature's bounty. What a beautiful natural thing. And actually, when you look at the research and what's really going on with fruit, you realize that none of the fruits in supermarkets today is natural. Humans have been breeding for thousands of years 
gray wolves into chihuahuas, ancestral bananas into modern bananas, right? We have created these new breeds of animals and of plants to suit our needs and our taste. So if you look at a banana from way back, it's very small, it's full of seeds and fiber, and it's not very easy to eat, and it's not that sweet. You look at bananas today, they're extremely sweet and extremely easy to eat. Mm. That is because of human engineering. And we're not talking like lab, like GMO stuff, just simply crossbreeding different plants that have the specific characteristics that you want to encourage. Mm. Same thing goes for apples. Oranges are not a natural fruit. They were invented 2,000 years ago by breeding two different species of fruit. Wow. On and on and on and on. So just remember that. However, if you want to eat something sweet, a piece of fruit is still the best thing to eat because of the fiber it contains. Mm. Fiber and water. And as soon as you have fiber in something, it's going to slow down how quickly the sugar is going to make its way to your bloodstream. Mm. Now, the problem arises when you denature a piece of fruit. So, example, if you make an apple juice, what are you actually doing? You are removing the fiber, which is the solid part that you throw away, and you're keeping the water and the sugar. You're making a big glass of sugar water. Your body doesn't care whether that sugar came from an apple and is now in this glass of apple juice or if that sugar came from a beetroot and is now in a can of Coca-Cola. It's the same molecules for your body. When you make a smoothie, you're not throwing away the fiber, but the blades of the blender pulverize the fiber particles. They're still there, but they're less effective. They're broken into lots of small little pieces. So... Smoothies and fruit smoothies are just a big wave of glucose arriving to your bloodstream extremely quickly. So to mm. me, fruit smoothies are dessert and fruit juices are dessert. They're mm. there for pleasure. Now, smoothies in the morning, you can make them be much better for you if you focus them on protein yeah. and healthy fats, right? So if you have like protein powder, avocado, some milk, and then you add some berries for mm -hmm. taste, no problem. But if you're having a pure fruit smoothie, you put like mango, banana, kiwi, whatever, that is just sugar water you're having in the morning. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think like the, the thought was also adding protein powder and fats Great. and everything and like making sure it's a little bit more balanced. But you like in your opinion, then do you think it's better still to have solid food than a smoothie format? Or yeah, does it not probably. make any difference? <sighs> if you... I think solid food is still better for your brain because mm. your brain registers it a bit more and it's easier to feel full. And especially if you're having fruit, it's always better to have the solid version of the fruit than the smoothie version. But now if it's the morning and you like making a quick smoothie, like, of course, it's fine. You know, mm -hmm. it's better than having a piece of chocolate and an orange juice. It's a spectrum. I think whole foods is always going to be better for our brain. That's what we're used to. Also, I think as well, and like this is actually coming from someone who like has smoothies once in a while, but I think that also sitting down with a plate of food and like the amount of time that it takes you to consume that in itself, I feel like there's like a, a level of satiety that yeah. it just nothing else can compare to that, you know, whereas a smoothie, like if I'm in a rush, I'm gulping that thing down in like a minute. You yeah, know? absolutely. And then if imagine you're in your car, you're at work, you're eating while you're distracted, mm -hmm. your brain has less time to register what's going on. Totally. Which is why it's so nice to have habits of sitting down with your partner, your family, your friend to enjoy a meal mm -hmm. because your nervous system is also going to be much calmer. So you're going to be able to digest better, be less bloated, right? There's so many benefits to that. And uh, in Europe, we have a really good culture of sitting down as a family for dinner, uh, which I think, you know, is not that common everywhere else because we're so used to just watching TV while we're eating yeah. or eating on the go in five minutes by ourselves. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So we touched on this very quickly towards the beginning of the conversation, but you were saying that glucose spikes also have an impact on hormonal health, mm -hmm. especially for women or like women who struggle with PCOS. Can we talk about that a little bit more? For sure. So your hormonal system and your glucose levels are very connected. Mm. They they both need to, they work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So if your glucose levels are unsteady, and you're having spikes and dips all day, your hormonal system is not going to be able to function very well. And what we see, which is so interesting in the science, is that when you have a lot of glucose spikes, you also have a lot of this insulin hormone that I mentioned in your body. And insulin is in charge of, you know, storing away excess glucose. But when there's lots of insulin around, other, th other things start happening. For example, excess insulin tells your ovaries to produce more testosterone. 
the male sex hormone. Mm. And so you might see in a female body, all of a sudden, all this excess testosterone compared to the amount of female hormones. And this excess testosterone is often the reason people will have PCOS symptoms, mm. such as balding on the head, hair growth on the face, acne, missed periods, cystic ovaries, infertility, right? I think it's about 60 or 70% of PCOS cases also go hand in hand with insulin resistance and excess yep. testosterone, right? So a common way that PCOS symptoms are managed is by giving the person the birth control pill. Why? Because the pill contains female hormones. And so in a female body that has loads of testosterone, taking the pill is going to rebalance things out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the symptoms are kind of going to go away, but you're not solving the underlying issue. So then when you stop taking the pill because you want to stop being on birth control or you want to have a kid, then all of a sudden, bam, testosterone again is much higher than the female hormones. Therefore, you're not ovulating. You're not able to get pregnant. What we really need to do is look at the underlying cause of this excess testosterone and address it. And often... This is simply by thinking, okay, excess testosterone is caused by these excess insulin and excess insulin is caused in part by these glucose spikes. So if I reduce the glucose spikes, the whole chain improves. Insulin reduces and testosterone reduces. And I hear this every single day in my readers in my community, females who were told they had PCOS, reduce their spikes with the hacks and then the symptoms go away, right? PCOS is not a genetic disease you can't do anything about. It is very much caused by the way we are living. So you think, or I, I know that it is, it is reversible in that case, yeah, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that gives people a lot of hope because mm -hmm. it's, when something like this happens to you, you can feel kind of so out of control with what's happening, but knowing that there are certain things like measures that we can take to still real things and put them in our control yes. is comforting, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think also we get lost because when you see a doctor, a doctor's job is to diagnose the condition and give you medication. Totally. That is their specialty. Mm. And they're really, really, really good at that. But we also need to complement this expertise with expertise from people who understand how to solve the underlying chronic lifestyle issue. Absolutely. And that's generally not your doctor who's going to tell you that because that's just not what they were trained in. So they'll be able to mask the symptoms. But at the same time, what if you look at the underlying cause, right? So that you can really fix it and not just get rid of the symptoms for a while. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And like, I, you know, when I was in college, especially like I remember it was just anyone who had things like acne or cramps or irregular period. It was just immediately they were put on birth control, you yeah, know, and know. it's it's. Insane. It's crazy. Well, I mean, from the perspective of the doctor, it works, right? Because it does. The yeah. symptoms go away. Mm -hmm. So it can bring a lot of relief for somebody who's struggling with a lot of these symptoms. But I think it needs to also go hand in hand with thinking, okay, wait a minute. Why did this even happen in the first place? You know, because the doctors often cannot answer the question of why is this happening? Mm -hmm. They'll just say, oh, listen, this testosterone value is up, so I'm going to give you the pill and it's going to go away, mm -hmm. right? But yet then you also have to do your own research, which is tough, yeah, and see if you can fix it. Because that's going to bring you true long-term health and true long-term freedom. Because we don't want to be on birth control for our whole life. Agreed. Right? And that's kind of, you know, I see my work as being complementary to what doctors do. I'm a scientist yes. and I just explain to people how their body functions and we can work hand in hand to give you maybe a short-term medication solution if you need it with your doctor and also fix the underlying issues so you can feel your best. Love that. So you, we discussed like a couple of different hacks, which is savory breakfast and when to time your dessert. Yes. What other hacks can you share? So say mm. someone is like suffering from PCOS and they are really wanting to make the right choices yeah. in their, like in their diet and like try to rein in their blood glucose levels. So what do you recommend? Savory breakfast, absolutely. Timing of sugar, very important. Then another one that's really powerful is eating veggies at the beginning of your meal. So for lunch and for dinner, I recommend starting your meal with a plate of vegetables. And then you eat whatever meal you usually eat. Now, why do we do this? Because veggies contain an amazing substance called fiber. And fiber, when we eat it at the beginning of a meal, has time to go and coat our upper intestine and create this sort of protective mesh. Mm -hmm. Okay, the fiber sort of deploys itself onto the walls of your intestine and creates this shield for you. And then anything you eat during the rest of the meal, if it contains glucose, those glucose molecules are not going to be able to go through 
as quickly from your intestine to your bloodstream because of that protective fiber mesh. So you don't have to change what you're eating. Just add the veggie starter, eat what you usually would, and your glucose levels are going to improve. Mm. And that's the key, right? We're not restricting. We're not cutting out stuff. We're actually adding food in, <laughs> which is amazing. So that's a good one. Another great one uh, that has really cool studies on it is vinegar. So this hack is before you eat any starches or sugars, have a tablespoon of vinegar in a big glass of water. And it can be any kind of vinegar, apple cider, white wine vinegar, whatever. And vinegar contains a very cool molecule called acetic acid. And acetic acid slows down how quickly starches and sugars turn to glucose molecules into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So again, we're slowing down digestion. We're slowing down the arrival of the glucose molecules into your bloodstream so that you can keep eating the way that you usually eat and also improve your glucose levels. And so what happens when you do this? Your energy is going to improve. Your cravings are going to reduce. So you're naturally not going to want to eat as many cookies as before. Mm. Your brain is going to be clearer. Hormones are going to rebalance. You're going to sleep better. And you end up in this very virtuous, really amazing cycle where you haven't changed that many things about what you're eating, right? Savory breakfast, putting dessert as dessert instead of as breakfast. So having never, never having sugar on an empty stomach, mm. veggie starter and vinegar. Those are the main ones I recommend people start with. And you feel like a whole new person after a few days. And this is sustainable forever. Yeah, it's true. Can you, you can also, I guess, combine the vegetable and the vinegar thing if yes. you make like a vinegar dressing. Exactly. You can have a veggie starter with a vinegar dressing. Yeah. So easy peasy. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. <laughs> Actually, lemon. <laughs> Speaking of lemon squeezy. So you can have lemon juice instead of vinegar, but it's not as powerful. Huh, so to okay. have the amount of power on your glucose levels as is, as is in one tablespoon of vinegar, you need the juice of three lemons. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, no one has time for that. That's, that's way too much lemon. <laughs> that's insane. So I want to talk to you about coffee and uh -huh. blood glucose spikes because there's definitely some conversation about eating food before drinking coffee in order to minimize any glucose spikes. You got is it. There, is there merit to that? Like, can yes. black coffee spike your glucose levels? In some people, it can. Mm. So if you're somebody who feels very jittery or anxious after drinking coffee, it's possible that the coffee itself is actually triggering some stress response in your body. Mm. And that can lead to a glucose spike. Because when you're under stress, your body naturally pumps out glucose into your bloodstream, basically in order to give your muscles energy in case you have to run away really quickly from a lion, right? That's an ancestral programming we have. So if you're somebody that after they drink coffee, they become stressed out, it might be creating a spike. Mm -hmm. If that's the case for you, an easy hack is have your coffee after breakfast mm -hmm. instead of before breakfast. Yeah. yeah. Easy one. Super easy. So on that note of coffee, mm -hmm. we need to talk about milks <laughs> because, and I know we talked about oat milk last time mm -hmm. that you were here We can as talk well, about it again. But we, we, I feel like we need to talk about yes. it because it is, it's not been dispelled quite yet, you know. <laughs> I'm doing my best, girl. <laughs> yeah. So oat milk. Okay. So imagine making pasta milk. So if you wanted to make <laughs> pasta milk to put in your coffee, you would <laughs> cook pasta right? And then you would blend it in a blender with lots of water until it's completely liquid. And that would make pasta milk. Now, nobody uses pasta milk, but having oat milk is kind of the same concept. You're just turning these oats into this liquid juice, this liquid starch. And so because oats and pasta are 100% glucose, when you drink oat milk, you're drinking basically glucose juice. So of course, oat milk is going to create a big spike in your body. Now, while I do not recommend it, I understand some people just cannot, they cannot live without oat milk. If that's the case, have it after breakfast instead of before and use some other hacks. For example, go for a walk afterwards. But a much better milk for your glucose levels will be unsweetened nut milk, mm -hmm. almond, macadamia, pistachio, coconut, or just regular milk. Like I just drink full fat dairy. I, I handle dairy very well. Great source of protein, great source of fat, no glucose spike. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I just I feel like if I'm going to have like a like give myself a glucose spike, yeah. like I'd rather get it from like a dessert totally. or like, you know what I mean? Like something yeah. that I'm like sitting and like enjoying for yes. like a long period of time. And I think that the thing with oat milk is that people think that they're doing something like healthy. Mm -hmm. And my thing is that if you have the knowledge and then you choose, absolutely go for it, go off, you know? Yes, but you don't want to be tricked. Exactly. Like everybody knows that if you eat chocolate, 
it's for enjoyment and pleasure, mm-hmm. right? Or if you eat the donuts, everybody knows that. But the, the thing that drives me mad are all these products that are disguised, you know, that people believe are healthy. So fruit smoothies, fruit juices, those little shots you can buy at the coffee shop that have like turmeric and ginger, but also like 15 grams of sugar in them. It's insane. Oats milk, etc. People want to be healthy, mm-hmm. right? They want to be healthy. And so when they choose these items, they think they're doing something good for their body. We have to remember that. Nobody's trying to hurt themselves on purpose. But I want to dispel all these myths and actually show you that is just marketing. Mm-hmm. Those companies just want you to buy their product. Yeah. So we have to counteract that with information. And of course, if you know oat milk gives you a spike, but you still drink it, be my freaking guest. If you know the truth about it, then you can make the decision. Absolutely. It's just having the knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about starchy carbs. Okay. Mm. So are there certain starchy carbs that are better than others? Like is sourdough bread, for example, better than other kinds of bread? Like let's, let's talk about that a little bit or like kinds of rice, like is brown or black rice better than white rice? Like give us the whole breakdown. Okay. So I will preface this by saying that I don't really like doing this because I don't want people to think, okay, I'm going to optimize and have, you know, this particular version of bread versus this particular one. Like, it's just bread. It's Mm -hmm. always bread. Yes, sourdough is better for you than white bread, but it's still bread. Yeah. You know, have it with some protein, some fat, some fiber. Totally. On the rice and on the pasta, the whole wheat or the white rice versus brown rice, no difference in your glucose levels. No difference. Pick the one you like. Same same goes for gluten-free pasta, for example. Mm Pick the one you like. It's not because the pasta says, you know, whole grain on it that all of a sudden it's broccoli. It's still pasta. So pick the one that you like best. And just remember that is starch. It's going to turn into glucose. So use one of the hacks. Have the veggie starter first, for example. But I have some cool graphs showing you how little of a difference that makes. And also for things like sugar, Mm -hmm. white sugar versus brown sugar. You would think, or coconut sugar. You would think, oh, if it's brown sugar or coconut sugar, much better for me, right? It's basically vegetable. No, it's still the same exact molecules. They have just been tinted in the process to look healthier. Coconut sugar, a big myth that coconut sugar somehow is better for you and has lower glycemic index. It's not true. It's just sugar. So it's like literally the same. It is the same. It's the same molecules. There's no difference. Honestly, though, this kind of information is quite liberating because then you can just go out and like have the thing that you want to just enjoy, you know, versus like feeling like you're making a compromise and doing something good for your health. But at the end of the day, it like surmounts to like the same. For example, having a vegan, gluten-free, coconut sugar-based brownie versus the brownie you like. Actually, have the brownie you like because the vegan, gluten-free, coconut sugar brownie could actually be worse for you. There's no, it's not because it's vegan or gluten free or, you know, made with 100% real fruit that it has any any different impact on your body necessarily. Mm. So don't fall for these labels. So what about stevia then? Because it's interesting, like, I mean, obviously, initially, it was like stevia is the, you know, the panacea, right? But then there's also been studies showing that with these like zero calorie sweeteners, Mm -hmm. it's almost like your body is expecting something sweet, but then it doesn't get it. And it's almost like a little bit more harmful. So Mm -hmm. what, what, what's your thoughts around that? Sweeteners definitely have side effects that we don't like, right? So impact on your microbiome, they can increase cravings, they can make you feel like you did something good for you, therefore Mm -hmm. you're going to compensate by eating even more real cookies later. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of damaging side effects. That being said, real sugar has these damaging side effects times 10, okay? So I really hope people do not switch from Coke Zero or Diet Coke to real Coke, Mm. okay? Yes, sweeteners are not great for you, but they are actually better for you than 25 grams of real sugar. Yeah. And we need to zoom out because often we say, we get so focused on like, oh my God, this thing is so bad Mm -hmm. that we don't realize that the other thing that we're going to switch to could actually be worse. So let's zoom out, okay? Best thing ever is to not have any sugar, any sweeteners, Mm -hmm. okay? Second best thing, if you're going to have a soda, for example, is to have the diet or sweetener version. Mm -hmm. And then worse thing for your health is going to be to have the regular version, right? That being said, like if you want to eat something sweet, you could argue that it's better to just have a real cake versus to have a stevia sweetened whatever thing because just enjoy the sweet thing that you like, Mm -hmm. you know? Or you could even use the sweeteners like stevia to wean yourself off of putting two sugars in your coffee. Yeah. You see what I mean? So we need to zoom out and not do so much fear mongering 
on aspartame. Yes, aspartame is not good for us, but mm-hmm. 25 grams of real sugar, way worse for us. Yeah, love that. Okay, I want to move on to... So you, we talked about vinegar, yeah. okay? We talked about like how you can add it to your vegetables. What about vinegar capsules? There's no science on them. We just don't know if they work. Mm-hmm. And vinegar gummies, those guys. That's a little dessert. That's a little sweet treat. (laughs) Vinegar gummies have, you know, two to five grams of sugar in them. So because of the whole vinegar craze, all of these different products have come onto the market telling you, oh, you can have vinegar without needing to drink it. It's going to be great for your glucose levels. Over the past two years, I've been looking at everything on the market. At best... It doesn't do much or there's no science supporting it. At worst, it actually creates a glucose spike. So I'm actually, it's cool that we're talking about this. I actually have found four plants that have existed forever, but that recently have had clinical trials on them showing that they can reduce the glucose spike of carbs by up to 40%, four zero, which is more than what vinegar does, which is reducing it by 30%. Wow. So we have, yes, white small relief lemon, cinnamon, and antioxidants from vegetables. And I actually put these all into a capsule that I made called anti-spike formula, which is if you want a supplement to help you instead of having a vinegar drink, a veggie starter. If you're at a birthday party and there's cake and you want to take something to help your glucose levels when you can't do the other hacks, anti-spike is the 100% best thing on the market, only thing that I would ever recommend. Mm. And it has the short-term impact on reducing the glucose spike. And also when you take it every day for six weeks or more, reduces insulin resistance, which is so great for women with PCOS, for example. And it increases GLP-1, which is the famous satiety hormone that things like Ozempic act on. Okay, but it's 100% plant and it's actually really increasing GLP-1 instead of Ozempic, etc., which actually just trick your brain into thinking there's more GLP-1. But again, you know, when it comes to capsules and supplements, I would always recommend people do the real food approach and these hacks that are free, Mm. right? And vinegar drinks are great. They're actually really cheap. But if you have, you know, $60 that you can put into this capsule, the one I made is the only one that you should take when it comes to helping your glucose levels. Love that. And yeah, I'm very, very excited for this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so want to move on to audience questions because we have a number of them. Yay, love it. So the first one is, what's your opinion on the trending nighttime mocktail with cherry juice? You know, like the sleepy girl. Never heard about it. Really? Oh, the sleepy girl mocktail. Yeah, so it has cherry juice and magnesium. What are your thoughts? Because it does have cherry juice in it. I mean, okay, first of all, I don't think there's much science in cherry juice. I'm not sure where this thing comes from. I should test it with a glucose monitor and see. Please. Magnesium is great for your glucose levels, for your sleep. I take a magnesium capsule, magnesium bisglycinate. Mm -hmm. That's the form. So good. Yeah, before sleeping. Listen, if it floats your boat and you want to try it, like, go for it. I don't think it's going to do much. But if you drink sugar right before going to bed, generally that's going to create a glucose spike and then a glucose drop. And that drop, maybe it's at two in the morning, can actually wake you up. If you ever wake up with a pounding heart, you know, sweats, that can be because your glucose levels are crashing. So do not recommend. But, you know, if you want to try it, go for it. Okay, can you please win? I will. Yeah, I will do this this week. I'll test it. I really need to see. The people want to (laughs) see. Great. I'll do that. I promise. It'll be up soon. What is your go-to breakfast to start the day? If I have good leftovers in the fridge, I'll put them in a pan, crack two eggs, put a bunch of Parmesan cheese on it because I love Parmesan. Oh, yum. yeah. Easy. Or if I'm home and I have everything I need in my fridge, I'll do my two egg omelette with feta and tomatoes. That's mm-hmm. my favorite way to start the day. Oh, that's yeah, so delicious. So, so easy. So easy. Okay. Talk to me about an ideal day of eating. So like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, like just and in literally in your ideal day. I thought you were going to say an ideal date. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can do that too. <laughs> okay, ideal day. Savory breakfast, coffee. Then you don't eat anything until lunch. Lunch, you have something that's not going to spike your glucose levels. So big salad, protein, healthy fats, olive oil, throw some whatever you like in there. Then generally what happens to me is that in the afternoon, I want to eat something sweet. Mm. Okay. I just like I'm that girl. So at 4 p.m. I'm like, hmm, mm, Jesse could have a cookie right now. So I'll buy the cookie. And if I'm able to, I'll, I'll actually keep it for dessert after dinner because mm. that's going to be better for my glucose levels. If I can't wait, I'll have anti-spike capsule. I'll have a handful of almonds. I'll eat the cookie and then I'll go for a walk. 
right? That is really smart, yeah. Yeah. And then dinner. Okay, dinner, I love eating carbs. So dinner will always have some sort of pasta, rice, potatoes, something, but always with a veggie starter at the beginning of the meal mm -hmm. to reduce the spike. So I might have like some roasted broccoli with tahini. Then I might have like some salmon. And then I'll have some pasta with, again, Parmesan because I'm just obsessed. And then maybe some chocolate and then magnesium and then I go to sleep. Easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you are then a fan of like three square meals versus snacking all day long. Oh, 100%. It's much better for your body. You want to give your body rest between your meals. And also, if you're snacking all day, especially if you're snacking on carby stuff, you're going to be creating glucose spikes all the time. And then you you train your body to expect food every couple of hours so it doesn't become good at burning fat for fuel instead. Mm -hmm. I was recently in France and we were doing this, I was on this TV show and it was a very long, long, long day of shooting and we were on set for like four hours. And we couldn't eat, we couldn't do much. We just had to sit there and smile. And this woman next to me after two hours, she turns to me and she's like, hey, Jesse, are you feeling what I'm feeling? I'm like, no, what? She's like, my blood sugar is really low. Like, I need a snack. I'm going to pass out. And I was like, wow, that is a perfect example of very bad metabolic flexibility. Not being able to go more than two hours without eating. Mm -hmm. I was fine for five hours. I mean, I was hungry, but, you know, my body was okay. It was burning fat for fuel. So that's such an important thing you have to train yourself to do. I also think that on that note, a lot of people, and I was guilty of this for a really long time, I would do a breakfast and then I would just not really eat for lunch and I would be starving. Ooh, yeah. And then I would be like grazing on like random things. Yeah, chips and bread. Oh and my God, stuff. it's horrible. Yeah. So I feel like having a proper lunch like you described in your ideal day, yeah. like I feel like that is actually like a big hack that is not talked about enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we also don't eat enough protein. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. So when I started Huge. realizing, oh, ideally you want to have one gram of protein per day per pound of body weight, yes. right? And I, I can never remember my weight in pounds. I'm like 70 kilos, mm -hmm. which is 150 pounds. I don't know. Anyway, so that means I would need 150 grams of protein per day, considering one egg has eight grams. So that's about 20 eggs. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of protein. And if you have that much protein, you're going to realize that you're not that hungry. Yes. And I just discovered this amazing hypothesis. It's called the protein leverage hypothesis. And it's been shown in a few scientific papers. It says that until you give your body enough protein, it's going to keep you hungry. Uh-huh. Your body wants protein, but it can't tell you, like, Sif, go eat a steak. It'll just be like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And you, if you don't know to eat protein, you might have a bagel or a cookie or some chips, and you're going to stay hungry. But if you have some eggs or some fish or some meat or some other source of protein, then you won't be hungry anymore. I love that you're talking about this because personally, even mm -hmm. for me, when I upped my protein intake, my life completely changed. Yeah. I was so much, I was like in a better mood. Yeah. I had all this energy, totally. like I was crushing it at the gym. Yeah. My hair is better. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? Like, why have we been sleeping on this? Yes, absolutely. It's huge. It's huge. And we're chronically underproteined. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also, I think like men talk about this, but it's such like bro talk, you know? Yeah. And I feel like I'm glad that women are like, actually starting to talk about this because it's really important for it us is. too, you know? This is making me really hungry talking about this. <laughs> I mean, I had I had like a protein-filled breakfast in the morning, nice. so I'm like good. But yeah, like I'm excited for lunch. Yeah. I'm having like chicken and all of that. Nice. So excited. Okay, so on the topic of metabolic flexibility, do you have any thoughts on intermittent fasting? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's really, yeah, there's such a shift going on right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're noticing. I've always said that Listen, if it works for you and you feel great, that's fine. But you don't need to be fasting to be healthy. Yeah. And you have to make sure that you break your fast in a way that doesn't spike your glucose yes. levels. And you have to remember, fasting is a stressor on the body. So if you do hit cardio, cold plunges, sauna, coffee. Now your girl, you're stress, doing too much. <laughs> stressful job. Kids and you fast. Yeah. Your body's going to break down. Yeah, it's too much. So remember, it's a stressor. And we're now realizing that actually in a female body before the menopause, not that many benefits of fasting. It mm -hmm. can actually cause issues to your hormonal system, which becomes stressed out. So if you're postmenopausal, go for it. If you're a man, go for it. If you're a female, you know, in childbearing age, don't recommend. Unless personally you feel like this is making me feel so, so much better, I would recommend having three meals a day, actually. Mm -hmm. Love that. Okay, so food-related advice for people with type 1 diabetes. Okay, so when you have type 1 diabetes, you don't have the ability to make that hormone called insulin, which is mm. so key to getting your glucose levels down. And so people with type 1, they will inject insulin because otherwise they die. Like, it's, it's really bad. But people with type 1 diabetes also 
can manage their glucose levels with these hacks to have fewer variations so that the spikes and the drops they experience on a daily basis are less extreme mm -hmm. so that it becomes easier to manage. So I have a lot of people with type 1 who use my hacks. You can use exactly the same hacks as everybody else mm -hmm. and they see great benefits. They're able to reduce their insulin dosage. They feel better, fewer mood swings, fewer symptoms of this crazy glucose roller coaster. Yeah. Talk to me about type 2 diabetes. Mm. I'm saying the same breath, obviously very different. Someone asked, is it reversible? Yes. Yes. Unless, you know, you've gone so, so far that all of the cells in your pancreas are really damaged. Mm -hmm. In most cases, it completely is reversible. You can put it into remission. Type 2 diabetes is when the amount of insulin in your body has become so, 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 so high that you develop what's called insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And that means your body no longer responds to that amazing insulin hormone and no longer can store extra glucose away. Mm -hmm. So your glucose levels go up and they stay up. How to put type 2 diabetes into remission? Use the hacks. Reduce your glucose spikes, which means your insulin levels are going to reduce, which means over time your fasting glucose is going to reduce. If you're on medication, talk to your doctor before trying my hacks because they will change things very quickly mm -hmm. and you want your doctor to be, you know, managing your dosage of medication. But that's one of my favorite messages to receive. You know, my readers will say, Jesse, two months ago, look, my lab test said I had 150 milligrams fasting glucose. And now two months later, I'm at 98. And my doctor cannot believe it. Mm -hmm. Doctors are often like, what did you do? Because they're so not used to seeing this kind of remission because they're used to managing type 2 with medication for yeah. life. But actually, yes, medication can help you, but you can fix it from within as well. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So empowering. Jesse, this has been awesome. Tell everyone where they can find you. Thank you, Sif. Glucose Goddess on Instagram is really where it's at or glucosegoddess.com. You'll find my books, which can help you with all of this. You'll find I have lots of free guides, free recipes. My recipe club, Anti-Spike, is also there, which I'm so excited about if you want extra help. Oh, my God. I'm so proud of you. Thank oh, you for coming thank on. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, girl. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif Hyder. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.